Welcome back to the Help Me Understand podcast. This is Dr. Robert Dillon. Today's episode features Kelly Tankley. Kelly is the founder of Anastasis Academy in Colorado. I really love that school. It's amazing to see how micro schools can really serve the whole child. And it's truly just a laboratory of ideas there. Um, you'll really enjoy this conversation because Kelly and I do talk a bit about school, but then we wander into so many other big ideas. It's actually one of the reasons I love talking to Kelly is that she has just an amazing, adventurous, and curious mind. Uh, stick around to the end as we talk about interior design and parenting girls and travel. I hope you really enjoy this episode of the Help Me Understand podcast with Kelly Tankley. Kelly, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Happy to be here. And uh, I think I, I just really wanted to think, I know that both of us have thought about what schools should be, but I know that we also are thinking about a hundred other things. Um, what's the latest big idea that you have in your head? Oh my gosh. I know there's so many, but like, that's, my favorite, that's my favorite question to ask you. Cause I Pick always one. know that there's always one. I, you are a person that is never short on big ideas. Yeah. I, um, I've been thinking a lot lately about what the blessing that micro schools are, um, particularly in um, our current situation with uh, COVID-19. Um, I'm feeling really lucky and fortunate that I'm, um, you know, running a school of, of 65 and not 2000. Um, because one, it, it gives our teachers such a great ability to know our students and our families so well that, um, moving us to another environment doesn't feel like such a big hurdle, right? Because we, we can kind of connect in different ways. Um, but thinking about, you know, what would happen if, if that was large scale, if every school was kind of a micro school and, and what hurdles would we have to overcome if that were true? Um, and one of the things I've thought about is like access to um, materials and, um, and lab space and just what does space look like if everybody is a micro school because it's it's not feasible to have uh, micro schools all over the place where you've got um, you know kids who um, are in a rural town to have a fully outfitted like their space or science lab or chem lab um, uh, photography studio those kinds of things um, so thinking about just how might that look different? How might we use space and resources differently? Um, and really thinking about letting me think about or uh, consider um, just a new way of doing that. And so one of the things I've, I've been kind of dreaming about um, is, you know, this idea of like a container, uh, a container um, module, um, similar to like uh, the pods that get delivered um, to your driveway when you're moving. But what if um, we outfitted those, you know, with um, you, mobile classrooms almost, um, where you could really build out different, um, you know, labs and, and modules and makerspace type, type spaces that could be leased and delivered to schools, um, that it's kind of the shared resource instead of everybody's trying to recreate the same resource. Um, 
just knowing in my own school, you know, the way that we end up using things is very cyclical, that we're not always using, you know, all of our science equipment. We're not always using, you know, our greenhouse, for example. Um, but there are seasons and there are um, units that we do in inquiry that very much we, we would love to have access to, you know, those things. Um, but how might we share those just differently is something that I've been thinking a lot about. Yeah, I think uh, I wander in the same. Uh, the complexity of school continues to grow, right? The opportunities mm -hmm. that we want to give kids uh, grow. But uh, from the micro school, even to a school like mine, where we have 3,000 kids, we can't offer everything to every kid without partnership, without other schools getting in the mix. And certainly, you know, rural schools here in Missouri, and I know in Colorado as well, um, they're trying to figure out how to do that. And so I do think it's super interesting to think about how can we combine more and more resources and opportunities for kids that can be shared. Um, we don't do a very good job of that um, overall in education, I would say. No, I feel like, you know, everybody tries to replicate the same things. We all write grants for the same, you know, makerspace or, or labs or, or different things like that. And I think, um, it's just not sustainable. I don't think that it's equitable uh, across schools. And, and what we end up having is schools that are really well outfitted. Um, and usually those are private schools and they're very expensive to go to. And then we've got schools that, you know, might have a, a really great science lab type thing, um, but the school down the street, you know, may have a great makerspace. And so just how do we, how do we utilize those resources better? How do we, um, I don't know, how do we share that differently within education and just think about, you know, our, the space that we use differently? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I've been playing, uh, I just started reading the place-based learning book that Tom mm -hmm. Vanderark and his team came out with. And I know that both of us just love that idea of like your community being a part of who you are and schools kind of oozing out into that sort of piece. Um, where has that changed for your school over the last couple of years and what have partnerships and being able to be a part of your community looked like? Yeah, so we have um, all of our classes are con um, have a nonprofit that they are connected to all year. Um, so part of what we do is, is even how do we expand our community be beyond the walls of kind of who's in our school and our immediate community. Um, so we do everything from, um, uh, we have uh, our oldest kids visit um, another school in town that um, has a large refugee population and they tutor refugees um, as part of their um, as part of that space, uh, it gives them a different vantage point and viewpoint, right? They're going from a school that is a micro school to a very large school, populations, vastly different resources available, those types of things. So, um, you know, it, it gives them a bigger view of, of actually what this community, the large looks like, um, who else is in Colorado, um, what kinds of needs people face, and then two, the, the things that bring us together, right? Play and, um, and shared experiences and laughter. Um, so even when there are um, differences of language or, or some challenges there, um, we too see the, the shared humanity pieces, which is really nice. Um, 
our kids also go to a place called same cafe, which stands for, so all may eat. Um, mm. it's a pay what you can cafe. Uh, it's a really interesting intersection of life that happens in this space. Um, so our kids are able to see, you know, um, people, you know, taking a break uh, from their business day, you know, in full suits, um, as well as like a, a homeless family, maybe um, enjoying lunch there. Um, so they eat lunch uh, right alongside all of these people, but they also are involved in, in you know, helping to grow the food and, and prepare um, the food that people will eat, clean up afterwards, those types of things. So I think as, as much as we can get kids um, realizing that the world is bigger than, you know, their school and their neighborhood and, and really put them in places where they're um, able to connect with others and explore, um, that they can see the difference. It builds empathy in a different way, but also in the way that they again, realize like the shared humanity, like, oh, this, this family may be experiencing homeless, homelessness right now, but actually the, the kids and I share the same love of, you know, whatever character, <laughs> frozen character or whatever. Um, and so I think that just gives them a different, um, a different experience than you can often um, open up just in a classroom space, right? To connect them to these different um, places and experiences. Yeah. Just thinking about healthy kids a little bit, right? And um, part of, I know, the mission of your school is always to kind of figure out how to, that whole child, that whole health. Um, just talk about your philosophy around that a little bit and just maybe, I don't know, just, yeah, just go there a little bit about what healthy means these days. I think it means so much more than I don't know. I think it continues to be more and more complex. And I, I think I'm trying to figure out what a healthy school means. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, um, I think for us, you know, we have a, a high, large population um, of kids who have been adopted. Um, so a lot of trauma that comes along with that. Um, and it's both local adoption as well as international adoption. And so um, we see a lot of kids that um, have these kind of hidden traumas that are obvious kind of on the surface because again we my population is you know well fed and and has nice houses and you know mostly upper middle class um, but there's these kind of hidden traumas and and we see that a lot I think in this um, pocket in Colorado where um, you know this is where the school shootings happen this is where there's a high proponent of um, depression and suicide and anxiety uh, and we see all of that and so I think that you know we've for so long been focused on the external um, what it looks like to be healthy externally and we have not focused enough on you know what does it mean to be resilient and healthy internally and unfortunately in an environment where you have um, you know, uh, wealth, it's easy to hide some of those internal things because the external is, is so well met. Um, and two, I think, uh, this is a demographic that it, um, it's easy to put on the, like, everything's perfect face. Like sometimes we feel like we live in, um, you know, in, in, I don't know, Stepford or something like it just is very um it can be simple it can it can look so good from the outside um while inside these kids are are crumbling and i think family structures as well um kind of crumbling and we're seeing 
that families don't know how to support their kids in these moments um, and go to some some extreme measures, right? Whether it be medication or, um, you know, doing some things that that really what they need is connection to um, to others. They need to know that, um, you know, different feelings and, and sadness and anxiety are part of the human experience. And I think we don't often um, focus on that in schools. Um, so for us, we are really, we talk a lot about um, just that those shared experiences that we all have. We have a connecting time in the morning where it's kindergarten through eighth grade all together, um, where we are really intentional about helping our kids um, kind of explore some of those deeper truths that are um, historical truths, right? This has been part of the human experience as, as far back as you wanna go. Um, but really explore those and, and um, be vulnerable together in sharing those experiences. And I think because it's kindergarten through eighth grade, um, there's this really nice range of, you know, the eighth graders seeing the kindergartners um, their feelings of insecurity around they don't have the right stuffed animal or mom didn't pack me string cheese and lunch <laughs> or whatever it is right so like that's the concern they have and, and there's this kind of um, you know the eighth graders are seeing that and, and kind of laughing to themselves but also you know it gives them this understanding of oh this problem that feels this big giant problem to me right now you know, if I gain a little perspective, I'll probably look back and it's not quite the problem I think it is. Um, so there's a lot of that. Um, we, we work on a lot of restorative justice um, and we do that pretty proactively. So not just when a student is in crisis, but we do, um, we call them circles every, um, every week. And so uh, we go into the classrooms and we separate out boys and girls sometimes, sometimes we do a whole class, um, but we really just give them the space to, um, to connect in, with each other, but also talk about some of these things that are easy to kind of gloss over and hide um, and give them tools. You know, what do you do when you feel anxious? What is, you know, what does it feel like in your body? And then how do you respond to something like that? Um, what do you do when you're disappointed and you're, you know, you feel like your needs aren't being met um, or your wants aren't being met and kind of even helping them define the difference between those two things. Um, so that's some of the things that we're doing. I, again, I think um, anytime you could connect kids externally to others, it gives them a whole different level of empathy and it helps them develop their, uh, their own resilience in a different way. Um, so that I think is an important part of what we do as well. Yeah, I, I had a good friend of mine call that suburban ministry, and I'd never really heard that term. Yeah. Uh, and he unpacked, right? Like when people drive into their garages and no one sees their stuff. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's just a symbol of how people present themselves and whether it's okay to show feelings, whether it's okay to talk about yeah. those things, whether it's okay to talk about your warts. Uh, mm -hmm. He as a minister says like, hey, just helping people to have a place to breathe yeah. with your stuff is yeah. a real piece of that. And so I do see that work um, in the, you know, the area you are, but lots of other areas being right there, suburban ministry. I mean, at the yeah. same time, you know, I'm working in the school district where we just started figuring out how to feed all of our families during this time mm -hmm. when we were away. So different type of ministry, right? Totally. Uh, yeah. Same, same sort of stuff, but just different moments in different places of what's going on. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we just started this year um, doing some of that work with our parents in a way that we hadn't done before. Um, so we've been offering this this meeting time um, that always has a different theme, you know, how to how to support your kids through anxiety um, might be a theme. But what's been interesting is as the parents connect over their kids shared concerns, what they're <laughs> seeing is, oh, actually, we all are experiencing, you know, our kids are actually just feeding on the anxiety that I have. And so it's this kind of nice, like, experience where they're, um, you know, they're coming together to support their kids, but then they're, I, I think they leave um, a little more exposed in the best way possible to their own stuff um, and realizing that, oh, my kids are, are kind of mirroring what is internal in me. Um, and so that's been a neat, um, kind of a neat view for us to take this year. Yeah. So if you weren't uh, doing things around schools and education, what would you be doing? Ooh, do, you have like a, do you have like a passion to go do something different? Someone just asked me. So I thought, well, I, I'll have, just pass that along. I have so many. So I have an interior design degree and I like love so much of space and, <laughs> and thinking about um, all the things you think about. Get off my lawn. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Um, so I, I would probably honestly like remodel homes and, um, and just recreate, rethink spaces of all kinds. Um, I love doing that. I, um, I also love writing, so I would probably do something, you know, still involved around writing and, um, I don't know, creation of some sort. I, I've got to be creating. That's my happy spot. I know. I think both of us kind of get antsy with what we're currently doing pretty well. So, uh, <laughs> yes. so what, what would, what would a next book look like for you? Well, I'm writing one. About? Um, we'll see if it, we'll see if it ever materializes. I'm really um, wanting to take people through the design think thinking process that um, I didn't realize I was in the midst of for mm. the last 10 years. Um, and um, and help schools just um, go through that, that same design process without all, um, you know, most books that I, I read are here are all the answers of what you should be doing. And um, what I would like to do, and my hypothesis is if, if you teach people how to connect with kids um, in an authentic way and understand who the students in their classrooms are, um, then go through the design thinking process of now that we know this and have connected in empathy, what does it mean for curriculum and space and, um, you know, all of these different pieces, assessment, um, all these different pieces. And I, I think that schools could pretty well transform themselves in all the right ways if, um, if they were given kind of the, um, the waypoints of, you know, the questions to ask and, and kind of that guidance through that thinking process, um, mm. starting with that empathy piece. So um, that's kind of what I'm trying to lead people through is, is our own process, but then also empower with how might you go through that same process. And um, because I know that, you know, as much as I love and am attached to Anastasis, um, I, I realize that taking my model to your, um, your district 
is not going to look the same, right? It's going to be vastly different because you serve such a different population. Um, and not that either of those is bad, but the way that you serve your population is going to look different than the way I serve mine because the needs are different, right? If you, um, if, if fundamentally you're not starting from a place where your kids are well fed, that's something you're going to have to begin with, right? And then you can build in some of these other things. Um, where for me, that's, you know, I, I know that my kids, um, well-fed, I don't know, they're, they eat a lot of processed <laughs> foods, but, but they are fed, you know, they're not hungry. Um, and so I, I just look at um, how do you empower people to take care of their own communities by first really seeing their communities and then asking the right questions along the way. So that's, uh, that's what I'm currently working on. I love it. And I think that it is a series of questions, however they get in, you know, however they get unfolded in each community and each culture. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I worry that we still do so much designing for instead of designing with. Right. And so um, I think that's um, a piece of that puzzle that I get a bit worried about yeah. is that is, is that, is that, is that we get caught in kind of design for design for, and uh, not so much with uh, designing with. So uh, maybe those questions uh, will be a part of uh, solving that issue. Last really good meal you've had. Well, sadly, um, the last good meal I had was actually last night um, because a sadly. good meal happens every <laughs> night. Well, it was comfort food because we um, put down one of our dogs yesterday. Um, so that was the sad piece. But um, so we were in desperate need of comfort food. Um, and uh, made one of my childhood favorites. Um, my mom used to make us taco squares. Um, ours look more like taco circles because we don't make them square, we make them circle, but uh, total comfort food and, um, and it made me so happy to eat it last night. So, uh, sorry yeah. to hear about that, but yeah. yeah. Um, food is good and then um, music also has been a good healer. What, 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 what are you listening to these days? Oh gosh, yesterday I was listening to Louis Armstrong because mm. I mean, what better um, upbeat music can you be listening to? So that's what I was listening to while I was cooking was uh, Louis Armstrong radio on Spotify. So that's fun. I was and pretty happy. You said you're in your yoga studio today. And so uh, what's, what, what's been good with your yoga lately and what are you struggling with? Oh gosh. Well, I can't do a crow pose to save my ever loving life. And I've been trying for so long. Um, but I will say that, um, I have always been the homebody type. And so, um, I have not, I, I don't love yoga classes. I would much rather like have it on demand. So I am addicted to yoga with Adrian and any school leader um, out there. It is free. It has always been free um, on YouTube and she is phenomenal. And um, it is just such a happy moment in my day when I stop and do some yoga with Adrian. I know I'm a solitary runner, so I know lots of people nice, that get yeah. together and need running groups and do all that sort of thing. And even Not when so I much. show up, at, I show up at a race of four thousand people. I might as well just like it's like noise in the background. Yeah, uh, I just go do my thing, and uh, I think you know we all need that, right? Like so, so to each their own around that. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, if you oh, someone just brought me dessert. How about that? That's the How best thing ever, is that? right? What That's dessert, a, what is that? 
I don't know, it's some sort of, has a raspberry on the side. They have good presentation. That looks amazing. It's very good. It has raspberry cake, I was just told. So um, it's our friend's birthday. So we're, um, but that's pretty good, right? In the middle of things, I get to So awesome. Right? That's a pretty good Yeah, that's amazing. um, a good perk. So I have two pretty much high school daughters. If you were going to give me advice as a former high school or female, um, what would you give me of my advice as a, as a dad for my high school daughters? Um, weigh what you say so carefully because it sticks with them longer than you would probably hope. Um, my dad is amazing and wonderful. Um, and I mean, 99.9% of the time, so uplifting and supportive. And I still remember those two comments that were like devastating as a, um, I don't know, as a teenager to, to hear. And they were so offhand and not meant to be like cruel in any way, but because of what was happening outside that he had no idea was happening outside made that comment have weight that it probably didn't need to have. So, um, you know, I, I don't know how to help with that because you don't always know what's happening on the outside, but just weigh those comments um, because they do stick stick, and, um, and they give a strange weight to whatever's happening outside of your walls, right? So, um, and I, I would also say just um, remind them, you know, how much you love them. I, I remember having like an epic meltdown um, probably when I was like 10 or 11 and my dad came and sat next to me on my bed and, and kind of put his arm around me and just said, like, there's going to be days where, like, you hate my guts that are coming up and you're going to think that I'm the worst and you're going to hate me so much. And even when you think that I'm the worst and I, I want you to remember that I love you so much. And um, and that stuck with me so profoundly um, in those moments where I really did hate him. <laughs> Um, later on, because I remember, um, I remember at 10 being like, well, I would never hate you. I would never, that would never happen to add. Like, I'd always still love you. And he's like, believe me, there's going to be times where you're really angry with me and you really think I'm unfair and, and you hate my guts and think I don't understand. And just remember, I'll still love you <laughs> even in that moment. And, and that really did stick with me. Um, watch movies together, like have shared inside jokes, right? Like that was the, those are the things that I remember years later is like sitting on the couch watching Father of the Bride with my dad. Um, so. I know I, yeah. I, I scooped up my, my daughter and we went camping the other night. And then the, and the secret is that we went camping and it was like midnight and I was like, this is awful. And so like I told her, I woke her up, put her in the car, shoved everything in the car. We drove home and went to bed. And so it was awesome. <laughs> And I don't mind camping. I was just like, I don't want to do this. I'm this freezing. Yeah, this isn't fun anymore. Right. And I, yeah. it's not like I'm 15 hours from home. I will just get in the car and go home. So it'll That's be good. Awesome. R- remind me, are you a Colorado native? I am a Colorado native. Oh, so what are the hidden places that you've been to that most people don't know about Colorado? Oh, my gosh. I know there's so many, but. Um, I don't know if they're hidden, though. I feel Maybe like unappreciated. Maybe they're unappreciated though. Yeah. Unappreciated might be, um, you know, everybody goes to Red Rocks because Red Rocks, of course, and it's amazing and beautiful, but one Valley, um, to the South of Red Rocks 
is the same red rocks, <laughs> but you can like hike around them and nobody knows it's there. Um, and mm. I actually grew up in that valley. Like that's where our house was. And so there's all these amazing like trails and, and things back there that um, you experience all the same like amazingness, but without the crowds and um, the lingering smell of pot from the concert the night before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's before like uh, 285, right? Does 285 go up the mountain there? It's before, it... it's okay. before 285, yeah. Okay, yeah. now we're like nerding out on geography, but yeah, I know. So for everyone yeah. who's listening, right? Like whatever, yeah. so. That's and pretty is, awesome. Is there any place else maybe um, on the backside of the mountains that you've been that you really like? Oh gosh. Nothing I, that stands like, out. I, like I fell in love with Salida when I was there. Salida is beautiful. Yeah. It is beautiful. Um, I mean, Buena Vista doesn't get a whole lot of play. I feel like it's getting more and it's gorgeous. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I love it all. Um, yeah. So do you, have a, do you have a short list of places you want to travel next? Oh, gosh. Well, I know you have I a would, long list, but where I would all. really like to be like this week is Palm Desert, just in the warm and palm trees and by a pool is really where <laughs> I'd like to be right now. Um, yeah, I really, I'd love to go to Italy when they're healthy. Um, that's definitely on our short list. Um, my aunt and uncle own a B and B in um, in England, and when I was a kid, I visited every. Uh, almost every summer, a lot of summers, um, and haven't been back um, in like 16 years. So I would love to go see them and um, and do all of the things that I, I did growing up um, in England. Um, I'd love to go back to Israel. Israel was uh, awesome. And I'd like to go back there. Um, yeah, there's a lot of places in South America I'd love to visit. I don't know. I have, yeah. it's when, pretty varied. When uh, people that have visited Israel, and I'll ask you this, did it feel like, I don't know, I, I, in, in my world, like biblically, you feel like these places are grand and huge and like you get there and they're like, no, it's like across the street. Right, like the, the, <laughs> yeah. the villages are really close together. Yeah. It's really a much more compact biblical geography than maybe our brains made it out to be. Yes. And I also, what I was struck by is in Israel, you go down and it's like layers of history as you go down. So you mm -hmm. could literally start in like a street level building that's like modern day and you go down the steps and it's like layers of history. Um, it was real. I don't know how else to describe it, but that, but it's super fascinating because it was like this entire other world um, that they just built on top of. And so, um, and then of course you see places and, and things that you've kind of heard about or, or read about and, um, and to actually be there experiencing it, it is pretty phenomenal. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Oh, I know. The world, and the is, people there the world is too lovely. big. <laughs> the world is too big. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to go to New Zealand. Yeah. Like would just love to go to New Zealand. Yeah, that's super high on my list. A, there's a ton of like amazing hikes and bikes mm -hmm. that you can get out for a long time and be yeah. 
Um, yeah. And so we actually have friends there. So maybe oh, nice. we, we like, that's the hard, like the hard part isn't like getting on a flight. It's like, right. once you're there, like who, who to be with. So yeah. Yeah. Switzerland. There. I'm dying to get to Switzerland. Yeah. Just Lu- gorgeous. Lucerne, Switzerland is one of the most picturesque moments I've ever had. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. We and have so, kids that um, brought, went last summer and brought back pictures. And I'm like, you look like you've been photoshopped into this. <laughs> like, it just looks surreal. Um, what are you reading uh, right now? I just finished reading this morning play by Dr. Stuart Brown. Hmm. Um, and it's the science behind why animals and people play and, and hmm. the actual necessity for play for the brain. Um, that was really good and interesting. Um, I'm reading The Naked Now by Richard Rohr. Oh, yeah. um, and that I'm about halfway through. It's great. Um, and then uh, The Sun Does Shine. Um, uh, Anthony Ray Hilton, and he was on death row for um, like 30 years and just and for something he didn't wrongly convicted. Um, but his story is incredible. If you are looking for one of those books, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And I, I listened to uh, Richard Rohr on a podcast. It just feels like he's pouring wisdom into you. Like oh his my gosh. Voice, like, it, like the void, everything. Yeah. He's, so, he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, if you haven't listened to him on Pete Holmes podcast, Pete Holmes is a comedian. Mm. Um, it, it's like a two hour, he's done it two or three times with Pete and it's like a two hour each time conversation. And I, have probably listened to them four times because they're just like, <laughs> there's something new to like get out of it. It's just brilliant and Pete's entertaining. So that's always fun too. Anytime you listen to a podcast and you have to like pause it for five or 10 minutes just to contemplate <laughs> yes. what was just said, <laughs> you know you're in the right place. And yeah, so, totally. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Colorado decided that they are done with the death penalty, I read. So there you I go. know that just happened yesterday. So great. Yes. And um, so I, uh, I, it's funny, I have a story in uh, that I was a high school English teacher. And I had a student that was presenting on the death penalty. And in that moment, was when I changed what I thought about the death penalty. Is that right? It, it's so crazy. And it was like a awful, horrible, sophomore presentation <laughs> in front of a class, right? And I don't know why that was the moment. But um, yeah, I still hold that up as the moment where I was like, Hey, wait a minute. This, yeah, something's not right about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, last question: Is there something you've recently changed your mind about? Hmm. Um, that's a really good question. It's so funny because I was reading this in that in the Naked Now. The chapter I was reading this morning was about um, the verses where it says um, repent or convert or reform. Um, before the Lord, you know, it's, it's kind of new Testament. And he says, actually, if you go back to the Greek, the word is metanoia, which is what we call our morning Mm -hmm. meeting. And the whole, um, intent behind it is change. Um, that if you're not consistently kind of changing, um, your mind and your, it, it literally is to change your mind, your soul, your spirit, like that journey of, of change. Um, so I feel like I'm, I kind of change by the moment. you know, I, I think the most recent thing I've probably changed my mind about was thinking that we had to have a very rigid schedule for our students um, just to keep some sense of normalcy and routine. 
um, and then realizing that there's nothing normal about this moment. Like mm. I, we need to kind of embrace that as well. Um, that let's, let's do give them some routines and some, some touch points that are familiar, but also recognize that there is no way to make it so familiar that it really is normal. Um, so I think in the last week, um, that's something that I've, I've changed my mind about, um, that there just is no normal. And so how do we live in that and, and give people permission to just, um, you know, I watch my husband like working remotely and, and all of his coworkers and their kids, you know, of all ages, like needing things and going, yeah, this is the same boat we're all in. And why would I force like this unrealistic expectation for us and for them um, and for the families because they're going to be working remotely. Like, I'm not sure the technology will do what we want it to when everyone in the house is trying to be remote all at the same time. So just kind of transforming, you know, best of intentions. I wanted to keep routine, but then realizing like this isn't normal and embracing that it's not normal and how do we still connect and support um, and give familiarity without thinking it has to look just like it looks every other day. Yeah. Kelly, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you it. so much. Yeah. Great to talk with you. Always love it. Thanks for listening to the Help Me Understand podcast. For more about my work, you can head over to drrobertdillon.com or follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to rate this podcast as it helps alert others to the great conversations and ideas happening in this space. Until next time, this is Dr. Robert Dillon reminding you that an intentional life is filled with awe, curiosity, and joy. 